You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Here As In Heaven. In our day and age, there is one true God. Our lives surrender to it, our dreams are fueled by it, and our schedule revolves around it. But what if God of our age is false? In today's teaching, we will be examining idolatry in our time. Well, good morning. Welcome to week three of this series that we've entitled Here As In Heaven, the most non-financial financial series that we will ever walk through. Uh, hey, I want to take a poll at the beginning of today. Uh, how many of us, first off, how many of us have children? Anybody have kids in here? Yeah, just give a muffled, uh, if that's you. Anybody? Yeah, exactly. Amen. Sundays are like, I don't know, kind of like a marathon for parents if you go to church. Because uh, not only do you have to wake them up on time, but you got to feed them. Otherwise, they don't last, um, you know, on earth. Um, you got to stuff them into a car. You got to buckle car seats. I mean, it's just like a whole thing. You know what I mean? It's like crazy. Um, and I, I've come to find something. I got five kids. Um, my, I did most of the work, but my wife was involved a little bit. And uh, she actually carried them, gave birth, fed them, you know, all that kind of But I was, you know, I was, I watched her do it all. And uh, one of the things I found out, as my kids get older, they just, they just want stuff. You know what I mean? Like want stuff. And one of the things they've, they've been wanting now for a while, and I don't really get it, is, is this thing. Have you seen this? Have you seen this thing? Right? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't understand. You, you just spin it like this, and you stand here, and I don't understand what the... I don't, oh, sorry. I don't understand what the whole point is. I kind of got caught up there. So um, I don't get, like, what the whole... I can't, I got to put this away. I don't understand what the point is with those things, okay? The whole, the whole fact of the matter is my kids have been craving those forever. So about nine weeks ago, we placed an order from China um, to have it be here. We just received one of them the other day. But, but what's, what's happened because of that is it's brought out all kinds of evil in my house. Because we ordered three and we've only received so far one. This is like Christmas morning, only buying one child presents or having Santa only bring one child presents, depending on your household beliefs. And, um, and so it's a little bit frustrating. Uh, and so it's brought out all kinds of evil, like, well, how come she gets to have, have that and I don't have one yet? How come they get to have that and I don't get, where's mine? And, and, and what I've realized is that my kids are, are, are evil people. I don't, I don't know how else to say that. Um, but we, but we really are, and we live in a world of all kinds of evil. What do we agree with that? Yes, you turn on the news, you turn on. I mean, I hate to be like you know so epic, but it's just it's just true. And maybe I'm just getting older, but I'm really realizing that there's all kinds of evil in the world, and it's just maybe more evident. Maybe now we're so connected on social media, right? And, and I want to deal with this, and I want to talk about this through the lens of heaven, through the lens of finances today. And I want to read a passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says this. It says, for the love of money. Let me hear you say love. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Let me hear you say flee. It means run away. Get away from. Go the other way. This is pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Let me hear you say the word fight. Now, here's the thing. 
Here's what we're bad at as, as Christian church people, fighting. Here's what I can appreciate about somebody who was raised up on the street. They know how to fight. And some, somehow for us as, as churchy McChurchies, right, like we don't think that we have to fight. It scares us. It intimidates us. But how many of you know that we live in a world right now that is evil, and it's an evil that we don't fight against uh, concerning flesh and blood, but Scripture tells us we fight against things not of this world. We fight against, Ephesians 6 tells us, we fight against things that, that are darkness, that are evil, that are, that are, that are uh, principalities not of this world. We are in a battle. And a lot of us, we don't like to think about it that way. We, we like to be in our safe, seemingly safe Christian bubbles, right? Where our, our vans have, first off, we drive minivans, and then they're covered in bumper stickers that have to do with Jesus, and then we turn on, you know, we only listen to 104.9, God bless it, bloop, and then we, um, and then we only talk to our Christian friends, and maybe we're in a Christian work environment, and then we come home, and we're only around Christian people in our Christian home, and then we show up to Christian church, and then we go to our Christian sea life, and we live in this, and all that's well and good, I'm just saying, if that's the only place that we live, we're living in a place of comfort, a comfort zone. Fighting won't take place in a comfort zone. And yet Timothy tells us right here, fight the good fight of the faith. As a Christian, we are called first and foremost to fight. Fight with the faith that God has given to us. The moment that you come to Jesus, Jesus gives you faith. The faith to follow him. The faith to believe in him. The faith to surrender and submit to him. And I love this next verse. He says, take hold of the eternal life. I love that because sometimes we try to just make it so elusive and like, well, how do I get to? And, G, and like, how do I know that? And how do I maybe if I just, I'm nice. And, and Timothy says, no, no, fight and take hold of it. Get it. Grasp it. There's something about it. Man, when I was little, we used to play capture the flag. Remember that? Capture the flag was a game that separated the men from the boys. Because we used to turn off the lights, it would be dark, one of our friends would stand out there with a flashlight and just be shining it, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like it was a, some kind of a strobe light. And we used to just beat the tar out of each other playing capture the flag. But there's something inside of all of us, I think, that longs for adventure, longs for challenge, longs for the nitty gritty, for us to, to, to get knee deep in mud and elbow through and, through and capture a flag and return it and get victory. Am I the only one that feels that way? Apparently I am. <laughs> Holy cow. You're going to have a hard time with this sermon, I'm just telling you. There's something inside of all of us that pushes us and drives us to fight. But there's equally something inside of us that pushes us and drives us to not fight. There's the spirit and then there's the flesh. Paul says the things that I ought to do, the things that I should do, are the things that I don't do. We have this dual nature. The man who is saved and the flesh that is depraved. And we wrestle with this. And Timothy says, fight. Take hold of what is yours. The eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Today we're going to be revisiting. And I could, I could jump into my sermon. I'm not going to get done. I'm going to be jumping in here. And, and we're going to be talking about this in the, in the avenue 
of money. Because even as I read this passage, a lot of us, we're not hearing it correctly. I've heard this passage misquoted so many times. Um, and, and it's misquoted like this. Maybe you would agree. People say, well, you know, money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? Money, well, money. Money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what Scripture says whatsoever. It's not what it says. What does Timothy say? It says the what? Love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. If you're taking notes this morning, would you just write that down? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. I want to challenge you to discuss this inside of your sea life groups. By the way, if you're not in a sea life group, you're missing out on what we are and who we are as a church. We gather together throughout homes throughout the week. We believe Sunday is just the start. That's where you're going to build community, relationships. You're going to grow in your relationship with Christ and have discipleship, and you're going to grow spiritually in your spiritual leadership, and we're going to discuss these things. I want you to talk about what this means. The love of money is a root of all kind of evil. Because here's what I want to say. Money, the making of it, the having of it, the saving of it, money is not evil. And you can amen that. You can say, whoop, whoop. You can do whatever you want. Whatever the modern day amen is. Yeah, whatever. Okay? Holla. Whatever. I don't know. That's sorry. That was, that was jaw rule days, 94. Anyway, um, I, I, whatever it is, like understand money is not evil. Now, as church people, we get freaked out about money. We're caught in like limbo. We, we don't want to have too much money because then it's like, well, how do you get that money? But we don't want to be like on the other end of the spectrum because it's like, well, doesn't God want to take care of it? Like it's, we get in this weird funk and it's like, man, this is an area that shouldn't be a, a stumbling block for our lives. you got to know that, 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 that money, the making of it, the having of it, the saving of it is not evil. And Jesus talks to his disciples about not being anxious and he says things like this. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. What you will eat, what you will drink, uh, what you'll wear, the clothes you wear, where you'll sleep. The Son of Man has no home. Don't, don't worry about it. And we confuse that with Jesus saying money's bad, don't have money. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about placing anxiety on the throne of your life. And I will say this too, as we, as we mentioned the other week, um, the, the idol here, once again, is not money. The idol is comfort. The main idol, in my opinion, the greatest idol in America today is not money, it is comfort. And we have to ask ourselves, when Timothy says the love of money, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that drives our love of money? What is it that drives our love for money? And I think many things can fall in here, security, identity, ego, the desire for stuff. But once again, it comes full, full circle. And I think what drives our love of and for money is the desire to live in comfort. Come on. The desire to live in comfort. Now, here's the funny thing. If you were to ask somebody, hey, do you want to be comfortable? No, I prefer uncomfortability. Like, it's a ridiculous thing, right? You get on an airplane. Sir, are you comfortable? No, I am. And this is an issue for me. I prefer to be uncomfortable. Like, nobody does that. It doesn't make sense. But the fact of the matter is there's a way that the kingdom of heaven operates that is much dif different than the way that the world operates. There's a way that we're called to work and function and act and think on this earth that is, that is different than how other people act and function and work. 
we stated this last week or the week before as well. There is no change without challenge. And I think that's so good. There is no change without challenge. Yet most people say they want growth. Oh, man, I want to grow. I want to change. I want to grow. And then you offer challenge. You're like, see you later. Peace out. I'm not about that life. You know what I'm talking about? There is no change without challenge. There is no change inside of a comfort zone. And so I got to say this. I love you, but I don't know if you agree with me on this. But, but this here, here's, what I, here's what I think, okay? Here, here's what I think. Here's my opinion. Most people, most Christ followers, will not do anything significant with their lives for the kingdom of Christ simply because they refuse to step out in faith. Most people who call Jesus their Lord refuse to ever step out of their comfort zone. They stay in it. And because they stay in it, they make no meaningful impact with their lives. You gotta understand, that has to be incredibly frustrating to God. That has to be incredibly frustrating to Jesus, who is constantly calling us out of our comfort zone, calling us out, calling us out, calling us out. And I think that part of the reason is uh, that we spend our lives within the, the walls of our comfort zone is because we feel like it's safe there. We feel like there's some semblance of control. Do you know what I'm saying? I like control. Who doesn't like control? I like to control my surroundings, my environment, my atmosphere as much as possible. But the moment I step out of my comfort zone, I'm, I'm not in control anymore. Which, which makes these statements that I'm going to give you even more counterintuitive. Okay? Here's the first one. Would you write this down? The most dangerous place that we can live is in the midst of comfort. The most dangerous place that we can live is in the midst of comfort. Now keep this in mind. We see comfort as success, and yet Jesus is calling us out of comfort at all times. What is true success? Is having money bad? No. Is having money success? Well, it depends on how you define success, especially if Jesus is calling us out of comfort all the time. Does that make sense? Sets up my second statement. The safest place that we can live is in the midst of uncomfortability. The safest place that we can live is in the midst of uncomfortability. The most dangerous place we can live is in the middle of comfort. The safest place that we can live is in the midst of uncomfortability. You say, Travis, what are you talking about? Now think about it. When you submit to Jesus, when you came to Jesus, when you accepted him into your life, at that moment, what did he begin to do? At that moment, he began to call you out. He began to call you out. He began to say, hey, follow me. Follow me. You say you want what I have? Follow me. The problem is most of us don't lay down our nets, proverbial, our proverbial nets, right, and follow him. We want what he has where and when we want it. We want what he has for us, 
But we don't want to have to make any effort to go towards them. And you're like, well, I thought that God will meet us where we are. That's true. And maybe you've heard the statement, God will meet you where you are. But here's the rest of it. God will meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. God loves you for who you are, where you come to him, the the junk that you bring to him, the sin. There's nothing too great for. But listen, he's not going to leave you there. He loves you too much. Jesus is calling you out to follow him, to focus on him. He will never leave you where he found you. And that's why I said the most dangerous place to live is, is right in the midst of comfort, which makes us some people on a very dangerous path. Because let's just be straight up and really honest. We live in the lap of luxury right now, don't we? Like, wow, where do you, where are you? I don't want to go all old man on you, okay? I really don't. But this morning, did you, did you bathe? This morning, did you eat food and drink water? Did you get into a car and drive here? Did somebody shoot at you? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, are we gathering in a public place in comfortable chairs on a, with a huge screen and lights with a GQ-looking pastor? I'm just saying, like, <laughs> we live in luxury. We live in comfort. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place. When you think of our enemy, how does he pull us away? He just gets us comfortable. How do you get somebody to stop following Jesus? How do you get somebody to not take these steps of faith to change uh, earth and, and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? How do you do that? Well, you just make them fat and happy. You just make them comfy. You just make them feel like success is how many zeros are at the end of your Paycheck. Here's part of the issue with comfort. Comfort breeds fear. Comfort breeds complacency. And comfort breeds entitlement. Let's unpack this a bit. Let's talk about this first one. What keeps us in our comfort zone? Number one, fear. I'm going to spend the whole rest of our time together, a brief time together, talking about fear. I'm going to talk about complacency and entitlement next week, but today we're going to talk about fear. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was a little kid, um, my bed in my bedroom was over there, and my light switch was over there, which, which presented a large problem for me, especially as a short, stubby kid that mostly rolled wherever he went. This was a big problem because I was terrified of the dark. And so I would do this move where I would try to put one foot over here next to the bed and then get over here and like reach. You know what I'm talking about? And I would just reach for this light. That's as far as I can go. And I would just reach for this light switch. I'd hit it and then I would just jump to my bed because I was so fearful that somebody was going to reach out from underneath of my bed and yank me under and eat me or something. I was just so scared. I have no idea. I was so scared. Anybody with me? Anybody? And I, here's what's weird. Can I, can, I be real, can I really be a man this morning? Yeah. Can I really be honest with you? You're killing me today. Can I? Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you, man. Hey, gosh. Rescue me. Okay. Um, I, I still do that sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I do. And my wife's like, Travis, you... Cannot do that. You don't weigh 40 pounds anymore. Don't break my bed. Ooh, it just freaked me out. I just feel like somebody's going to. And listen, if you, if you ever come to my house and do that to me, I will shoot you. I just want you to know. That is also not a joke. Um, 
I will. Uh, anyway, we can edit that out of the podcast, right? Yeah, amen, praise God. We're a people of peace. Anyway, um, I had a huge fear of that, and I think we all have fears. But as we get older, as we mature, as we become, you know, who we're called to be, and now we're grown-ups, um, our fears change, don't they? They don't go away. They just change. Now I find myself being fearful that someday I'll be alone. Now I find myself being fearful that I won't be the father that I need to be for my sons. Now I find myself sometimes being fearful that I'm not going to be the dad I need to be for my daughter. Or the husband that I need to be for my wife. Sometimes I find myself feeling fearful that I'm never going to accomplish what I feel God has put into, into me to accomplish. That, I, that I'm not going to be the pastor that God has called me to be. That the vision God has given me for our church and what he intends to do with us. I'm fearful sometimes that I'm not going to see that. So I still have fears. They've just shifted and changed. Are you with me? And I think sometimes we, we allow ourselves to get into this, this mode of fear. So many of us live in fear. And what I want you to know is that fear limits us. Fear is never a good thing. Fear limits us from being all that God has called us to be. And you've got to understand, Scripture tells us that fear is not of the Lord. Fear is not from God. You're like, well, hold, hold on there. Hold on there, Pastor. Because I believe that I read somewhere in Scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So how is that? Oh, listen, listen, okay? Thank you for your opinion. I appreciate that. That's wonderful. But here's the thing you can understand. Where Scripture says the fear of the Lord, what that word fear means is rooted in the Hebrew word named yara, called yara, which means a healthy awe and respect. Here's my question. When it comes to your fear, are you in more awe than you are fear? Do you have more awe and respect for God and his glory than you do fear for this world? Is your awe for Jesus and what he's done and capable of doing greater than your fear of what you are scared about not accomplishing? Yes, be in fear of the Lord, but fear him as a kayaker who has a whale jump out of the ocean in front of him. Fear God as a man watching the sunrise for the first time. Fear God and stand in awe of him as watching your child being born. You are in awe of God. Because a spirit of fear is not of the Lord. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you sound mind. He's given you power. He's given you love. He's given you self-control. So many of us live in fear. Fear of failure. Fear of the future. Fear from the past. Fear in the present. Fear, will my wife leave me? Will I make enough money? What happens if I get sick? What happens if I lose a child? What happens if my car breaks down? We get this case of what ifs. What if God won't come through? What if I tithe and I don't get money? What if I can't make my bills? What if I get ejected from my house? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we get caught in this place. Well, we are ineffective for the kingdom of God because our fears are greater than our faith. And what I want to challenge you on today is that your faith should be greater than your fear. Your faith should be stronger than your fear. In fact, until you have this faith to step out of your comfort zone, you will live in fear. Comfort zone breeds fear. Well, I would step out, but man, what if I did that and this didn't happen? 
well, you know, Travis, I would volunteer, but, but what if I just, what if I'm not good with watching kids? I would step out, but man, what if I did that and then, then this happened? What if I couldn't do it? What if I'm not smart enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't give enough? What if I, what if I, and so we stay in a comfort zone where it's seemingly safe and warm and comfortable and we feel like we're in control. So how do we eliminate this? How do we get out of it? Well, I already told you. We have to fight our fear with faith. And said, so I want you, in fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Just come on, look right at him. I like, I like this. I like it when we speak things out loud, okay? So you're going to speak this to your neighbor. Look right at him. I don't have a neighbor. Just yell at the closest person to you, okay? This is what I want you to say. You ready? Fear rooted in what you can do will keep you in your comfort zone. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. But faith rooted, and you got to get some Baptist preacher unction in you. You got to, okay, I want you to get a little bit of like, get a little bit of like Baptist-y, like old school. Like I wore a tie for today for you, okay, kind of preaching. Okay, now look at him, and you can even point at him. It's okay, it works. It's a preaching technique to make people feel convicted. It's okay. Just look at him right now. Point at him and say, but faith rooted in who God is will pull you from it. That's so good. That's so good. Fear rooted in what you can do will keep you in your comfort zone. But faith rooted in who God is will pull you from it. I'm going to say that till I get a response. We might be here for a little while. Fear rooted in what you can do will keep you in a comfort zone. But faith rooted in who God is will pull you from it. You say, Travis, what? who is God? Who is he? I'm so, you asked great question. I'm so glad you asked because scripture tells us, and I don't know if you realize this, but scripture is a playbook to the nature of God because in 1 John it says that God is love. In Revelation 1, it says that God is the beginning and the end. In Exodus, it says that he's almighty. In 1 Kings, he's infinite. In Jeremiah 32, he's all powerful. In 1 John, he's all knowing. In Psalm, God is ever present. In Isaiah 9, he's of the everlasting father. In Isaiah 54, he's our maker. Then he's our justifier. He's the way, he's the truth. He's the life. He's the light of the world. He's a good father. He's faithful. He's true. Hebrew says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. You want to know who God is? Step out of your comfort zone and you will find out exactly who he is. He is faithful. And yet so many of us never experience it. Paul wrestled with this with these young churches that he planted. He became so frustrated. He walks into the church in Corinth, right? And there's these Christian men arguing about ridiculous things in theology. And Paul walks in, he's like, guys, guys, man, I wish you would grow up. I wish that you would just get off the milk of the word and get to the meat. And all through the gospels, rather, I'm sorry, all through Paul's letters, he is challenging us to grow up in our faith. Now, I want to say, I really want you to hear what I'm going to say here because it, 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 I think it's challenging. It's challenging to me. I want you to understand, I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for forgiveness. There is no hope without it. There's no hope for me without it. I'm thankful for God's mercy and his grace. I never want to downplay those things. But to stop at those things is failure. If I only ever talk about the forgiveness and grace and mercy of Jesus, if I never grow beyond that point, 
then I have only ingested the milk of the word. There is so much more for you. There is so much more for you. Does that mean that forgiveness and salvation? No, no. We celebrate. That's huge. But understand, that's new birth. God wants to grow you up in your faith. You will not grow as long as you stay in the comfort. Also, I think one of the reasons that this happens is we become, we've been fed a half gospel. Here's the gospel most of us know. Jesus loves you. If you follow him, you'll be saved. His grace is sufficient. He died for you, rose again. Man, that's, that's an awesome gospel. The problem is, <laughs> that's only half of it. And so, and so when you present a half gospel as a full truth, what you get are angry people. I mean, that's only half the gospel. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's acceptance, yes. You know what else there is? There's sacrifice. There's suffering. There's surrender. There's submission. And that is just as much a part of the gospel as forgiveness, as grace, as mercy. And so what happens is, You tell a crowd of people how Jesus loves them, which is true. You tell a crowd of people how how they can have life if they follow him, which is true. But if you stop short of sharing the fact that following Jesus will be one of the most back-breakingly difficult things they will ever do, where we have to constantly crucify our flesh, where Paul says the things I want to do are the things I shouldn't do, and the things I should do are the things that I don't, don't ever do, and I should do them, but I'm a depraved person. I have to crucify my flesh daily. If you fall short of that, then you have sold people on a gospel that is not true. In the least, it's kept people comfortable, safe. And so the moment that Jesus comes and says, hey, man, I'm calling you out. People think there's something wrong with God, not with them. And then we hear this, we hear this given. I'm going to see if I can find this in my notes. I'm so far off. I don't even know what's going on. We hear this too, right? That, that God will not give us more than we can handle. You hear that? You hear that? Um, you ever had somebody come up to you and say that? I had a friend who came up and told me that once, going through a really difficult time years ago, and they came up and put their arm around me, and they meant well. Good friend. Put their arm around me. Hey, man, just want to encourage you today. Don't forget, God will not give you more than you can handle. Here's the thing. You know what's challenging about that? It's not true. That might make you angry. It's not true. What it is is a cultural wisdom that has no founding in Scripture. And now you've made a statement about God that the Bible doesn't justify or back up. Scripture does tell us that God will not bring you under any temptation that you are not willing to bear, and he will always provide a way out for you. So there's a difference between temptation and trial. A difference As somebody who can see a temptation, God has made a way out for you. You have power over sin. It doesn't talk about trial. I would say this, oftentimes God will give you more than you can bear. You say, what? Why? Because then it will force you to depend on him. 
And so we get into this place sometimes we're like, God, I don't feel like I can handle this. And God's like, finally, you're getting it. Man, what else do I have to do? What other trials do I have to allow? God, I just feel like I feel like I can't take. Finally, step out of your comfort zone. Let your faith be bigger than your fears. Throw it on me. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. And sometimes it takes God allowing us to walk through these trials, to know that he is faithful, to know that he is good, to know that we can trust him in the areas of our relationships and our emotions and our finances. Who is the God you serve? Who is he? Is he the God of the Bible or is he the God of a half gospel truth? God is calling us to more. And I love this. In, 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 the, book of, in the book of Matthew, I'm going to close with this today. Matthew chapter 22, chapter 14, starting at verse 22. We read this passage. And I I want to read it through the lens of our finances today, if you'd allow me to do that. Because when it comes to the avenue of your personal finances and your investment here into God's church, Scripture is, I believe, very clear that we're to give generously, that we're to give sacrificially, that we're to lead the way with, with, with joyful giving. And so I'm not gonna ask you, hey, how much do you give? The question I wanna ask you is, hey, how much faith do you have? <laughs> oh, that hurts. That hurts me a lot. I don't know how much you give. My question is, how much faith do you have? How much? How much do you trust your God? How much do you trust in who he says he is? Don't, 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 don't repeat back the when then. Well, when I get there, then I can do this. Well, when I get this in order, then I can, don't, don't do that. I'm not asking you about your bank account. I'm asking you about your faith account, okay? Your obedience and giving. Matthew chapter 14 think about it through that lens. I love this passage. Jesus, classic story. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go before him on the other side. Would you just listen to this? This is a true story, a true account from scripture. Verse 23, and after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone. But the boat by this time was long gone from the land, being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. You say, well, why did Jesus walk on the water? Well, they took the boat. What option did he have? I mean, he had to get to him, right? Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. You say that word, fear. Let me hear you say that word, fear. When Jesus first showed up, what was their initial reaction? Fear. But notice what happened. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. See, at first glance, Jesus 
our first response is fear, but upon further inspection, the fear is wiped away. To the point in verse 28 where Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And we're going to end in verse 29. Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, if that's you, let me jump out and walk on the water to you. Jesus looks at him and says one word. What does he say? Verse 29, Jesus says, 